That bumper right there for our series, it's kind of a reveal. It's progressive, kind of a tease. There's more coming to it. You're going to find out later what we have in this series. Uh, but we're excited about many ways to express and live out the hope that we have in Jesus. And to put some names with some faces, leading us tonight in worship, Barry and Patty and a lot of the praise team, that's our prison team. So if you've heard about the prison team the last 10 years and kind of wonder what's going on in prison and what's the ministry look like, you got a taste of it tonight. And that way, if you want to get involved in prison ministry, Lord willing, pray for that ministry, that the doors would open again and that team could return to the prison soon. But talk to Barry and Patty if you have any interest as well. Monday night, baptism, new membership. If you decide to follow Jesus and it's kind of a scary step, you haven't let anyone know, I just want to tell you, I'll be there on Zoom Monday night. Come to the baptism class. We'll talk about it, answer your questions as well. And then one other piece that's important. This is a, a shift that we're making. You know, before COVID, we had about 200 kids, Grace Kids, on a weekend. And we right now have just had Saturday nights for kids, but we've been waiting for more people to return to the building and be ready to serve. And now uh, we're going to make a shift because there's more volunteers coming back. And this is what it's going to look like. Instead of Saturday night Grace Kids, next weekend... Lord willing, there'll be Grace Kids Sunday at 9 and 1045. So the shift is from Saturday. Yeah, praise the Lord. You know, more people in our church are just getting ready to serve. The kids, middle school, high school, more people are saying, yes, I want to pour in. I want to invest. I want to help. And there's a lot of different roles. So next Saturday night, no Grace Kids on Saturday night. Grace Kids on Sunday at 9 and 1045. Hopefully that's clear and that's helpful. Of course, if you bring your kids to the service here, that's always wonderful too. So that's another option. We're trying to provide more options. Tonight we're in 1 Peter. If you brought a Bible, you can turn there or find it on your phone. We're still in chapter 1 and we're going to start in verse 13. And the message tonight is a calling to be holy. A calling to to be holy. And I would say holiness is one of those topics where there's a lot of people who have misunderstood what that word means, what that concept is all about. And what we're going to dive into tonight is a hope-filled holiness. We want to bring clarity on what holiness is, and then we want to enter in, taste and see that the Lord is good, how good holiness is, and this is a hope-filled holiness. I'm excited to get into God's word with you. I hope you're just feeling that eagerness to, to draw near to God tonight as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we're together as family. Lord, thank you that we are secure in your love. And God, as we study your word, we pray that anything that we've picked up over the years from our own thinking or traditions or things in the culture, anything that's not accurate, any lies, anything that's harmful or destructive, God, we would reject it tonight. And Lord, we would receive afresh. We open our minds and hearts, God, as we study your word to see you clearly and to receive your grace and to live lives that are holy and honor you and to do it together. And we commit this to you in Jesus' Jesus' name, amen. The letter, 1 Peter. The human author is Peter. God is the author of all scripture through the Holy Spirit. And Peter is writing to followers of Jesus. He says scattered and these are strangers. What does he mean by that? They are scattered. It's a time of persecution. And these are five regions, present day northern Turkey. Back then it was called Asia Minor. And they were scattered in the sense with this persecution, this diaspora. And now they're spread out, uh, scattered in one sense from their 
their original homes for a lot of them. Maybe they even left places like Jerusalem. They're scattered in that sense. They're strangers in that sense in these new regions. But they're also strangers on this earth because for all of us as followers of Jesus, we are not of this world. This is not our home. And he is writing to these people as they're going through a lot of suffering. Maybe you've been going through suffering in different ways recently. And the purpose of this letter is to strengthen and comfort and encourage. And tonight as you hear God's word, may we all be strengthened, comforted, and encouraged. And he brings a message of hope. And here's the main idea for this passage. It's that a movement grows and hope swells when churches become holy. The church is ultimately, it's the people who are following God. Far more than any building. I think we've learned that in this last year. Well, hope swells. Christianity is a movement. It's not a dead religion. We have a living hope and a living Savior. And this movement is growing. Hope is swelling as churches become holy. Now, let's take a look at 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. God says, be holy because I am holy. For the listeners, and especially the Jewish listeners, this would take them back to Leviticus. We're in three different chapters. The first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the Torah, Leviticus, three times, chapters 11, 19, and 20, God says, be holy because I am holy. Be holy because I am holy. And God says, be holy because I am holy. Can you imagine if God was not holy? Can you imagine if God had some flaws, had a few sins, didn't really understand, didn't make wise choices? Would we worship? Would we worship a God who is not holy? That would be disappointing. I personally would give no worship to a God who is not holy. And God declares that he is holy. Holy is a powerful word. I think so often in America, we are chasing happiness And we're trampling on holiness. We're chasing whatever we think is going to make us happy. And holiness is like an afterthought. But the way life works is that if you pursue Jesus and holiness, you will actually experience the deepest happiness possible and the deepest joy. So that's a paradigm shift. Holy is a very powerful word. And it raises three questions. We're going to dive into these three questions tonight. Here's the first question. Do you know what holiness is? Do you know what holiness is? Let's start with a definition, although this is far more than a definition. But a definition is a helpful place to start. Holiness means pure. Holiness means without fault. Holiness means set apart. God is pure, without fault, and he's set apart. He's set apart from sin and the patterns of this world. That's who God is. Now, as you open up the Bible and you read through, what you notice from really cover to cover is this theme of the holiness of God. And let's, we get pictures in the Bible of God's holiness. And let's take in some of these pictures. When God says, I am holy, what do we picture? 
Well, at the end of the Bible, in the last chapter, and it ends so well, but in heaven, we get a picture where the angels are bowing down. Even the elders bow down in worship. And the angels are declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Do you know what you're going to be hearing in heaven? Angels bowing down saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Who is this holy God? He called Moses near, called him by name, calls us by name, knows us personally. Moses heard the voice in the burning bush, the bush that kept burning, and God said, Moses, this is holy ground. Take off your shoes. You're approaching a holy God, Moses, in reverence. Take off your shoes. When I read Isaiah the prophet, and this has been running through my head all week, thinking about the holiness of God. My wife and kids will tell you I've been singing it all week. But God will not share his glory with another. God is holy and he will not share his glory with another. You say, well, how does this work? Uh, there's a picture in the Old Testament. And there was a lot of false gods worshipped in the land. And this is how pathetic the false gods were. They would manufacture them. They would put them together with stone and wood. And one of the false gods was named Dagon. And this was the god of the Philistines. He was known as the father of Baal. Baal's another false god that you read about in the Bible. Now, Dagon was seen as this agricultural god. And they thought Dagon had all kinds of power. And they made these little Dagon dolls. Well, God who in a special way, his presence is there with the ark. And I don't have time to unpack the ark, but you can read about it. And God's presence with the ark, the Philistines came in. They thought they were in charge. They grabbed the ark, stole the ark. This is about the time of King David. And they put the ark next to this little Dagon doll that they had made. And they went away. The next day they came back. And what did they find? Dagon was face down. The little idol was face down. Yeah, bowing before the presence of a holy God. And they said, whoa, what happened to Dagon? Let's just prop up our little. Do you ever prop up your little idols in life? They're like, oh, let me get that idol looking good again. Let me get that idol propped up. This is my little idol. This is my pet idol right here. And propping up that idol is, oh, something must have happened. Maybe, maybe you just kind of fell over the wind. Someone turned on a vent. I don't know. Put, put Dagon back up again. They continued to worship Dagon. The next day they came in. Dagon was face down. This time, the little doll, his head was off. His hands were off. And they realized this, this doesn't just fall over. Our little Dagon idol couldn't stand in the presence of a holy God. And, and as the presence of a holy God started to spread and the fear of the Lord spread, they returned the ark. Um, you can have your ark back. You, we're good. We don't need your ark anymore. You can have your ark back. This is a holy God. The prophet says, you are the potter and we are the clay. This is a holy God. We don't talk about the fear of the Lord. John the Baptist had the fear of the Lord. He said, Jesus must increase, I must decrease. I'm not even worthy to tie or untie his sandals. He is holy. I can't imagine what it would be like to baptize Jesus. That's what John did. In the book of Acts, you know how revival broke out? Here's one of the things that contributed to it. There were two people, Ananias and Sapphira. They were playing games with God. They were lying. They had a double life. They were lying to the Holy Spirit. And it reached such a point where God simply, they weren't around anymore. They sinned. They died. And the church knew what they were all about. And the church saw what happened, and the church honored God, respected God. This is a holy God. 
When I read about pictures in the temple where God's presence was so strong and thick, the priests couldn't even enter the temple because this is a holy God. He is holy, holy, holy. Why three times? That's emphatic. That's repetition to say there's no higher degree of holiness than there is with our God. And what will we do when we come into heaven but simply bow down and worship and enjoy and honor, worship God? May it be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as you hear this, how do you feel? Now, this is where things often get twisted and tainted. And this is where we want to come back to health. When you hear about the holiness of God, some people feel rejection. They feel, I'm unlovable, I'm too dirty. And they feel rejection. That's not the application of this text. Some people feel pressure. If you're kind of bent towards a perfectionist, you're hearing about the holiness of God, and you got the perfectionist machine just cranking up right now, and it's all on you, and you know what? I'm even going to be more perfect after this sermon. That's not the application, folks. That's not it. Pressure is not it. The next one is comparison. Whew, God's holy. Let me look down my row. Let me look at my family. Yeah, I'm a little more holy than most. Is this on a curve? Like, yeah, and I'm way more holy than them. Yeah, and I'll put them down a little more so I feel a little better about myself. It's a comparison trap. That's not it. That's not it. Some will turn it into a show. Kind of impressive. Oh, let me talk Bible. Let me talk theology. Did I tell you I'm going to life group? I'm in four life groups. Did I tell you I memorized the whole chapter? I've already memorized First Peter. And they just, they put on the show. Why? Because it's, it's just kind of a performance, isn't it? Faking a lot of people out. And for some people, and this is maybe the most sad and tragic, is they just feel horrible. They've had someone in their life, and most often it's a parent, who is seen as holy and was abusive. Most often a parent seen as holy, abusive. And then even that word holy, it just brings so many memories back of abusive, fake, false, dead religion. And so we hear this word holy and we go to so many places that God doesn't want us to go. And we need healing we don't want to go off track. And maybe when you hear this theme of holiness and you think, Peter's writing to these people who are suffering, why, on top of all the suffering, would he tell them to be holy? That's just mean. And, and maybe you feel like with everything you've been through in the last year, even to hear the words be holy, don't you know how much suffering we've been through? And this is what needs to change. The hope of holiness. Hope and holiness go together. We want to have a healthy understanding of holiness and a healthy view of holiness is filled with hope. And say, how does that play out? So let's start with a quote. This is Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones and this is about the grace of God, okay? Holiness is not something that we are called upon to do in order that we may become something or become received or become forgiven or become loved. That's not it. It's something we are to do because of what we already are, who we already are. Here's the beauty of the gospel is that you are holy. If you put your trust in Jesus, you're holy. In what sense? In the sense, legally, you're declared holy. 
Positionally, you're part of God's family. You're holy. Eternally, you are holy. You say, well, how does that work? You are already accepted, loved, and forgiven completely. And what does that mean? How did that happen? On the cross, all your sin was given to Jesus. And when he died on the cross, you put your faith in him. All of the holiness of Jesus is given to you. You are already holy. This is the good news. It's the gospel. It's not religious games. You are holy. And so be secure. Know that it's your identity. And you are holy. You're part of God's family. You're holy already. Okay, then why does God say be holy? Now, this is not about your identity. This is now about experientially. This is about living in a way that's holy, the fruit of the identity. And uh, let, let's unpack this together. Uh, we're talking about holiness in a sense. We're talking about growth. Uh, one chapter that comes to my mind is Hebrews chapter 12. And just to read a couple verses, at the start of that chapter, in verse it says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning at shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary, and you will not lose heart. And then there's an encouragement, and you almost have to read this twice after that. In verse 12, therefore strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. What does that mean? Uh, the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Here's what it means. There's a lot of people around who know Jesus, but they're not walking with the Lord. And when you decide to live for the Lord and you decide to live in a holy way, nothing is more infectious, nothing is more contagious than being around people who are living for Jesus. And all of a sudden, people who aren't walking with the Lord start walking with the Lord. And pretty soon it's a movement. Pretty soon it's a new culture. And pretty soon the desire and the inspiration grows to follow Jesus. So let's fix our eyes on Jesus because it's so easy to wander. It's so easy to be complacent. Uh, I, I won't unpack it, but look at Eli's sons in the Bible. They just thought because, oh, dad loves God. We go to church a lot. Hey, we got a big role serving. They got complacent. They got entitled. They got full of themselves. And God says, I'll raise up Samuel. And Samuel walked with God in a holy way and inspired the generation. And God will find those and support those who want to walk in a holy way. What, what does this mean? It means that you are called not to fit in to this world, not to imitate this world, but to be different and to be set apart. That's the calling on our lives. And when you unpack it, this word, be sober, sober-minded, it's nepho, which means free from every form of drunkenness. It's to say yes to purity. There's a tough-mindedness with it, and there's also an awareness. Peter writes, don't be ignorant. Don't give in to your old evil desires. And with that, here's the good news. Here's the hope. In Jesus' name, we break free from old patterns. You're no longer the old woman or the old man. In Jesus' name, there is hope and there is a vision of holiness. What does that mean specifically? I wrote down, you can break free from being drunk. You can break free from drug addictions. You can break free from complaining. 
You can break free from resentment and bitterness. You can break free from pride and lust and lies and being intimidated or silenced. Break free from materialism. Break free from being lukewarm, prayerlessness, silent about the gospel, hoarding more stuff, indifferent about injustice. In Jesus' name, we can break free. We can break free. We, we want to break free. His followers set apart. But before we go any further, I want to emphasize the main thing. Because as you hear action in breaking free, a checklist is not the main thing tonight. If you're hearing a checklist, you're hearing um, not the primary point. Here's the primary point we talk about holiness. Holiness is relational. Relational. God is set apart and he calls you to him. He calls you to him. It's not a to-do list. He calls you to him. And that's what holiness is, is to go to him. So it leads to the next question, which is, do you want to be holy? Do I want to walk in a holy way? Let's take a look at verse 17. And Peter writes, since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, Live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in the last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and your hope are in God. In comparison to the false gods, there were Roman, there were pagan gods. Those false gods were bloodthirsty, they were adulterous, they were cruel, and they were impure. And now Jesus is very different. Describing Jesus here, Jesus is loving, Jesus is serving, Jesus is sacrificing. Say, so, well, was there a cost for Jesus in being holy? The ultimate cost, he was killed. If you want to be holy in a world that doesn't applaud holiness, there's going to be a cost. There's going to be a cost. But this cost, and we're going to take communion together after the message, this cost was the very blood of Jesus. And our primary role in life is to represent Jesus. More than representing Grace Community Church, more than representing your family name, more than representing the Huskies or the Cougars, or more than representing... Your primary one you're representing is Jesus. And what will be most visible in your life is who you worship. Who you worship or what you worship, that's what people will see the most. And if we honor Jesus, people are going to see Jesus in our lives. Uh, you say, well, it is such a struggle to try to live for God. You know, let's take a look at Romans 7. Because the Apostle Paul is very transparent and he's vulnerable. And I think it's important for all of us to have a vulnerability and a transparency. This is what Paul writes in Romans 7. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. <laughs> this is the apostle Paul. He's being honest. He says, you know, what I don't want to do, I do. What I know that's right to do, I just don't do it. And he concludes by saying, what a wretched man I am apart from God. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
God has a way of using pain and pressure. I was listening to a podcast, Sam Collier, and talking about pain and even pressure that propels us towards God. Have you ever noticed in your walk with God that so often it's a pressure and a pain that will move us towards God, that will kind of uh, accelerate our spiritual growth, that will quicken even our hunger for God, and what they were experiencing in persecution— who's Peter's writing to in the book of Acts, what you see, that persecution, there's kind of this refining going on and they're becoming more like Christ. They're living for him. They're set apart. They're changing communities. They're sharing the gospel. But there's some real pain and pressure there. I think there's a lot of pain and pressure in our lives right now. Have you felt that? I mean, if I just said a year ago, the average amount of pain and pressure with people I'm talking to, uh, maybe it felt like a four. Say the last three months, pain and pressure, people I talk to, it feels more like I'm talking to people at a seven or an eight. Some are at a 10, some are maybe at a five, but the average pain and pressure is, has increased. And I believe that in the middle of the hardship, God can do some of the most incredible, incredible and deepest work in our lives. You know what? Uh, as you open up the Bible and maybe you relate to Paul, and, and you say, wretched person that I feel like, man or woman, because I know who God is and I know that standard and I know where I'm at and that struggle. You know, here's the healthy part. Guilt and shame are not healthy. That's not where God takes us. Here's the healthy part. We come to grips with the magnitude of our need for God. That's healthy. That's healthy. If we don't come to grips with the magnitude how much we need God every day. I don't think we're going to grow that much. And it's a spot that maybe doesn't feel good, but it is so healthy to go there. As I read Jesus talking to religious leaders, they clean the outside of the cup, but the inside is full of greed and all kinds of self-indulgence. He said to the religious leaders, oh, you look like a whitewashed tomb, nice on the outside, but the inside's like dead bones. Jesus was challenging them because he wanted to do a deep work on the inside. And I believe that tonight, Jesus wants to do a deep work on the inside. You say, well, what is this work? Look at John chapter 14 here. If you love me, Jesus says, keep my commands and I will ask the father. He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. The Holy Spirit will help you and the Holy Spirit will be with you forever. The spirit of truth. This is uh, the ministry that God has. He comes alongside. He comes in. He helps. We say, God, I can't walk holy. And God says, I know you can't walk holy on your own. But if you rely on the Holy Spirit, watch what happens. Watch what happens. So at the crux of that, here it is. We got to relinquish control. At the crux of it, say, how do you be filled with the Holy Spirit? You've got to relinquish control. If you're calling the shots in life, and whether it's about sin and your plans, your relationships, your reactions, if you're trying to control it all, you will not be filled with the Holy Spirit and you will not live a holy life. The brokenness, and it's a good brokenness, is that I have to relinquish control. There's, there's the career, there's the money, there's the kids, there's the plans. 
there it is. God, if you want me here, I'm going there. God, if you want me to say this, I'm saying this. God, if you want me to do this, I'm doing this. It's all yours. I relinquish control, and that's worship. That's when you come alive. That's when the fruit starts to come. And Peter's walking him through that in love. Here's another image. Uh, This is Revelation chapter 19. Look at verses 6 and 7. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Now, what we're talking about here, and Peter keeps referring to the return of Jesus Christ and the image in the book of Revelation is a wedding. Now, I want to say that we are the bride of Christ. And that's the metaphor. That's the picture. I know maybe for guys reading this, that feels like a little bit of a stretch. I have great memories of my wedding day and the groom and the bride, there were different experiences. I was with the guys morning of the wedding. We're playing football and then we just grab a quick shower and throw in the tuxedos. We're ready to go, right? But this says the bride. We are the bride of Christ. Christ is returning. This marriage feast and this celebration is the greatest celebration they knew in the culture. So it's kind of a picture. This is going to be the greatest celebration you've ever seen. And we are the bride of Christ. Now, I made a few observations about the brides. Uh, Those and the bridesmaids and the bridemaid and the bride, um, they were thinking about their arms. And they were like, wow, sleeveless dresses? Like, I'm going to do a little bit of exercise. I'm going to do a few weights and get ready for the arms. There were teams to work on hair. You think I had a team to work on the hair? There were teams coming hours early to put makeup together, right? There's a dress that's selected. I mean, this dress is not just like, oh yeah, grab me that one. This is a dress. And everyone's taking a look and pictures. And I mean, there's been selections. Why? Because getting ready for the wedding. You know what I've never seen in all the weddings I've done? I've never seen a bride with really bad breath just stinking up the whole place. I've just never seen it. I've never seen a bride with just like her hair all over the place. I've just never seen that. Um, I've never seen a bride walk down the aisle with a stained dress. And it's just like, oh, forgot to iron that. Oh man, didn't see those five stains. I've never seen a bride walk down the aisle with a bunch of lovers and say, here I am, here I am. We are the bride of Christ to be ready for that day, not knowing when Jesus will return. How ready is the church for Jesus to return? Are we living for God? Are we ready? Someone said we should be living right now. And and Jesus said, a lot of people know the weather, but not too many people understand the times. Not too many people are reading Matthew 24. Not too many people are reading the book of Revelation. Not too many people are noticing what's going on in the world and putting it together and realizing we're getting closer to the return of Christ. Not many people are realizing the times we're living in, but there's a bunch of people who understand the weather. And one person said, we should be living like Jesus was raised from the dead this morning and he's returning tonight. That's how we want to be living. Like Jesus rose from the dead this morning and he's returning tonight. That's the hope-filled way to live a holy life. 
You say, well, what does holiness look like? Here's our third question. What does holiness look like? And this is where it gets, I think, surprising. There's a twist here. And take a look at verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers and sisters, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men and women are like grass and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. What does holiness look like? I, the, the piece that jumps out to me and I think that's surprising is that there's a connection between holiness and love. Because a lot of people in their minds think of, okay, holiness, checklist, do this, don't do that. And what do we get here as a picture of this holy life? We see this very pure love. And I think the wisdom is to follow and trust and honor God to relinquish control. And then the fruit there is going to be love as we're filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter writes this, it's a sincere love. He writes, love one another deeply. And he writes, it's a love from the heart. A sincere love. It's so deep and it's from the heart. He says, holy people love one another sincerely, deeply from the heart. Is that the picture of holiness? When we walked in tonight, if I said holiness, what's the picture? Would you have said, oh, that's to love one another sincerely, deeply from the heart. That's what Peter's saying. Be holy, and then that's how we're going to live. This Greek word, which just means fervent, love fervently, it's extenos. And you think of the English word extend, extend. And when you break it down, it means at full stretch. It's an intense stretch. It's an all-out manner. It can literally mean to stretch out the hand, and it's to put it all on the line. So don't love or love or love, but love. That's what he said. Here's the picture of holiness. Your love is so fervent and sincere. So I have this picture in my mind, and I went back to San Diego for this. Good memories in San Diego. Uh, Lori and I were married in Iowa. The next week, we honeymooned in Coronado Island and then lived in San Diego, serving at a church there for some years. When we moved to San Diego, I'm like, I got to change my outfit from Iowa to San Diego. And, and I got some surfer shorts. And then I got those sandals, and I picked out some sandals that has a bottle opener on the bottom. Has anyone ever seen those or had those? I know I'm a little far north to give those a shout out. But you know, sparkling cider, honeymoon. Uh, let me open that up. Just trying to be smooth once in a while. And, and then I got this bodyboard right here. 15 years ago, it's like, yeah, boogie board, bodyboard. Let's go out to the water. And this has had a lot of use. Our kids now take it to lakes. They're not, they're not in the ocean, but, but they're in the lakes taking this. So it's still being used. And you know what? It's not bad. A lot of good times, some fun memories with the bodyboard. Uh, but with a bodyboard, what I notice is you don't really stand. You just kind of, I don't know, you semi-ride it, you hug it a little bit. Uh, you don't go too far away from the shore. You kind of stay close to the shore. You don't get a lot of speed. You get a little speed. And 
it's not that risky. I mean, there's a little risk to it. So I was doing the bodyboard for years just watching the surfers. Have you ever felt like, you know, what you got is, it's okay, but you're kind of watching the surfers? You ever just been watching the surfers? Like, what would that be like to really ride a wave, to really stand up, to really go for it? And I just couldn't pretend like, oh, I'm not interested in that. I mean, this is awesome. I mean... I don't need to stand up. I don't need to ride a wave. Like, I don't need to go far out. Like, this, this is awesome. I got, this is it right here. And I think what Peter's saying is that, yeah, you kind of love each other a little, but you're kind of close to the shore. You're not really standing up. You're not really riding the wave. And it's like, well, who wants to surf? I'm not going to diss this, but does anyone want to surf? Is anyone interested in surfing? And Peter's writing this because he's someone extenos. When I read Acts chapter 3 and there's a man and he's a paralytic and no one will pay him any attention, Peter will walk up extenos and look him in the eyes and he will care for him and give him attention and relationship and he'll say, I don't have money to give you right now, but in the name of Jesus Christ, walk. And Peter will bend down and hold his hand and and start to pick him up. And the man will feel the healing of God and start to stand for the first time. And then he'll start to jump. And then he'll jump and rejoice and praise the Lord. And what did Peter do? Extenos. He didn't just walk by the man. He looked at the man and cared for the man and served the man. And there was healing in the man's life. And the man praised God. I read Acts chapter 5. And you know what happened? Peter got beat up. Followers of Jesus are getting beat up. They're getting beaten. But you know what they say? This doesn't matter. All that matters is that we're faithful to God. Let's not stop being holy. Let's keep loving people. And if we're going to love people, yes, we serve them, but we also speak to them. And we're not going to be quiet. We're going to speak about Jesus. And the church resoundingly said, yes, we're going to serve people. We're going to speak about Jesus. And thousands came and know the Lord. Extend us. I don't want to just bodyboard. I want to surf. Well, I don't have pictures. As the story plays out, I did surf. And that's something new. And I was taught. But that feeling of when you stand up and you ride, it was Ventura, it was early morning, and after some coaching, I got to ride a wave. It's a different experience. And I'm not here to bash bodyboards, but I am trying to preach to someone who maybe has only been on a bodyboard, and I'm just trying to tell you that there's some surfing that can be done. And I believe that there's a wave coming. I believe there's a wave coming. I don't think we've seen the wave yet. But I believe God wants some people who are paddling on surfboards to go out and be ready for this wave. And I think you can still experience the wave on one of these, but I think it's a different experience. And I'm not here, again, to put down bodyboards. I'm just calling out to some people that maybe are ready to do some surfing. Maybe had a sense that there's something more. When it comes to this whole securing God's grace, meeting God as he calls us out to be set apart, to to live in a way empowered by the Holy Spirit, not on my own, 
and then to start to love people like we see Jesus love people. Maybe there's something here that we're getting some small tastes of and maybe for such a time as this, God is calling the church to serve, to serve. I talked to someone this week. I was just curious. I didn't do a big survey. I asked one person. Folks, that's not a survey. <laughs> these results, I don't even know what the plus and minus of these results are. But I just talked to one person that I thought is someone who's surfing right now. Uh, when I look at their life, I just think, that person's surfing. And, and, and I just asked them, how many people, I'm curious, do you know, extenos, that they just want that so much? I, I'm just curious, how many people you know that would say, I want the Lord. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to relinquish control. I want to love people. I want the church to break out beyond the walls of the church. I want to start at home, but I want to go to the community. How many people? Just curious. Let me ask you, how many people do you know right now who want to surf? How many people? This guy, he said, 10, 10, 10. You know what I think Peter's writing to? He's writing to a group of people they're suffering, but there's hope. And they get a sense that even in the persecution, God is calling them to something special. And I don't know what it's like in the quietness for you, but in the quietness for me right now, that's the message I hear is get ready, get ready, because God's going to do something special. God is doing something special in grace, and I think we're seeing a lot of pictures of it. I just wanted to show some of these pictures because this is a, this is collaboration. This is a ministry through Young Life, Capernaum, reaching out to people with disabilities. This is our parking lot. This is just kind of collaboration. When I think about this event, when I think about the lives changed, uh, I think about this is holy ground in that sense. And just the love, the closeness together. There was another event, similar collaboration with Auburn Food Bank. I believe that collaboration is part of how God brings his love. Collaboration with churches that love Jesus, ministries that love Jesus. We come together, better together, and you just see the pictures of some of the fun. I think of our care team. And uh, at a time when a lot of people are just kind of like waiting in one sense, this is a team with over 40 people at our church, over a hundred families, dozens have asked for prayer, dozens have asked for finances, and, and over 40 people in our church just like helping hands, helping hearts. Some people are getting counseling, some people FPU, one of the classes we offer, but this is God's love in motion. And when you think about holiness of God, it's a holy love, it's filled with hope, and a movement grows in hopes and swells when churches become holy. I just, as we prepare for communion, um, I, I want you to hear again, be holy because I am holy. Be holy because I am holy. Let's just still, in stillness right now, let's just pause before the Lord. He's a holy God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What sins do you want to confess tonight to God? You ask God to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then this love, extend us, 
filled with the Holy Spirit. What if the church had this love? What if there's almost a revolution of the love of Jesus? You get a vision of that tonight? Peter's talking to people who are suffering. But you know what? There's so much hope. And I believe there's so much hope for us. Be holy because I am holy. God, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you that you are holy. Yes. Yes. We give you praise together, God. Continue to guide us through this time of communion. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yo, subscribe to the YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to this channel.